0: We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Mani. First Samuel 17. It's been said there are those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and those who never know what's happening. Which one are you? Are you a person who kind of is used by the Lord to make things happen? Are you just kind of sitting on the sidelines watching things happen? Or are you one of those who really don't really have a clue, spiritually speaking, what's really happening? We're going to see this evening that because David walked by faith and not by sight, he ended up being one of those people who made things happen. Because notice what you read here in 1 Samuel 17, beginning in verse 12. It says, Now David was the son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab and the third Shammah. David was the youngest and the oldest followed Saul. And the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. Now, last week we went over uh, the Philistine. His name is Goliath. He was a giant. And we went over the fact that he was nine feet, probably nine feet, nine inches tall he had a coat of mail, 125 pounds. He was covered from, you know head to toe, pretty much with bronze. He had a spear that had a 15-pound spearhead. I mean, basically, this guy was just massive. Uh, he was one of those situations in your life that you just don't know how, how this can ever be overcome. You know, we called him, we know he is a giant. And and what we find is that this giant came out every day and he was saying, Hey, you know, I've got an idea. Rather than all of us fighting, I'll tell you what, you know, I'll just represent the Philistines. You choose one man for yourself and we'll go toe to toe. And whoever wins, uh, they become the master over the other. And so if we win as the Philistines, you Israelites become our servants. And if you win as an Israelite, you then have us as your servants. Here we see some information regarding David and Jesse. As it goes forward, we're going to see the battle between David and Goliath. David is the youngest son of Jesse, identified here as going back and forth from the battlefield and the sheepfold. There he was on different occasions. And Jesse here is the father of David, identified as an older man with eight sons, three already following Saul, enlisted in the military there at the battle. We read last week again in verse 16 that the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. And so in reading this right here, we know that in the Bible, uh, and this is interesting. And I don't know for sure, but it's probably not random. Forty is the number of judgment, right? And as I was thinking about this, it, it seems to me that unless you know, something happens and right away, that God is about to judge Israel. We're going to see shortly, however, that something is about to happen. Now, again, we read last week in verses 8 to 10 that the giant, the Philistine, challenged the army of Israel. And we see that this challenge is continuing. And as he's there, think about this. You know, you're part of the armies of God. It's a... It's not the same, although we might make some parallels between us and, you know, Israel, America and Israel. I mean, this is just a full-on theocracy where God has been in the middle of Israel's victories. And so, you know, when you see this and you hear this Philistine just challenging, you know, day after day, morning and night, you know, it's just so sad to see that the men of Israel had no faith. They were only afraid. And after 40 days, you would figure that maybe someone would muster up the courage to fight this man. But we find that their fear had not subsided in the least. As a matter of fact, it apparently worsened. And when you look at that and you see the soldiers just sitting on the sidelines and their fear is getting even worse, it it really breaks your heart and and it makes you really examine your own life. And I think for us, examine uh, uh, the church today. You know, is the church really fighting their giants? Or or is the church, generally speaking, sitting on the sidelines, kicking back, enjoying the blessings, their, their life, their comfortable, cozy life as a Christian? You know, I would generally say that the vast majority of the church is just kicking back, that they're just sitting on the sidelines. You know, yesterday I was watching one of the memorial services for John Stott. Have you guys ever heard of that guy, John Stott? He passed away not too long ago. And I was watching the service and I was blessed and at the same time challenged by the way one of the men summed up the life of John Stott. He said that John Stott's life was dedicated to do all that he could do to rid the church of apathy. And I thought about that and I said, you know what, that's... That that was his life. I've read his books. I've seen what he's done all around the world. And it really was a dedicated life to rid the, the church of apathy. You see, apathy is a lack of interest, a lack of passion, a lack of enthusiasm, a lack of concern. And I think that we as a church need to repent of our apathy. And we need to step up and out and go boldly forward in Bravery. It's time, you guys, to get out of the ba- the box, to get up out of our seat, to stop kicking in the sidelines. You go to the baseball game, you've got man, you know, thirty five thousand people watching the game. You've got you know what, eighteen guys playing the game. I think that's the ratio that we see today. And my prayer is that as we go through the study today, that we would just catch the spirit of David. And that God would work in your life, our life, to really rise up and to slay the giants. Remember back in verse 8, look what Goliath said. He said, choose a man. Choose a man. And tragically, there was no man of God there in Israel amongst the army. But there was a man of God in the sheepfold. And so we read... In verse 17, it says, Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp. And carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And this would be just kind of like a little scuffle here and there. And so David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle for Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper. Notice he ran, he ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. And so David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and there it is, were dreadfully afraid. You see, they were greatly afraid in verse 11, but now 40 days later, it's worse, man. They're dreadfully afraid. And what we find in David is that he was eager. That's why he rises early in the morning. That's why he runs there in verse 22. We're even going to see later that when he does go toe-to-toe with Goliath, that he runs to the giant there in verse 38. Think about that if you can for a second. You know, running. Running to the battle, no hesitation, no reservation, running to the battle, right? And, and I just I thought that wow this is so cool, Lord. You know, I, I really believe, and this is a quick side note, that we too often make excuses and say, Oh, we, we spiritualize it. You want to know something? God sees through all that garbage. We spiritualize it and we say that we're waiting on the Lord when in all reality, you're afraid. You're afraid, you're afraid. Faithless, so-called soldiers who'd rather sit on the sidelines and play it safe. And God sees through all that Christianese. And God says, "Listen, I need a David. I need somebody to rise up and to take steps of faith. And We need to be those Davids. This makes me search my own heart. We should all search our hearts. Are you sitting on the sidelines? Going through the routine? What are you doing that's different? How are you stepping out of the box? How are you stepping up? And we have to examine our life. You see, David here, he delivers the pizza. He leaves it with the supply keeper. And he runs to where the action is. And he hears firsthand the words and the challenge of Goliath. And then we read in verse 25, it says, So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, and give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. And then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now, one thing... When you're studying the Bible, you want to look for repeated words because repeated words will give you the emphasis. And one word that's repeated throughout our text today we're going to see is the word defy, 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 defied. The enemy had defied God, and this was a serious offense. We read that in verse 10 and verse 25, verse 26, verse 36 and verse 45. And so clearly this was the offense of the Philistine that offended David to the point of knowing for sure that the living God, the Lord God, would indeed defeat the Philistines. And I encourage you, look for that. When there are those things or those situations, maybe in your life or whatever, in this world where you see our living God, our Lord Jesus, is being defined, enter into that battle. It's important for us to enter in at that time. The Hebrew word, uh, "karaf" it means to reproach. It means to taunt. It means to blaspheme. And what we find is that David will have none of that. We should have none of that. We should not tolerate that when people blaspheme our God. Enter into that battle when you hear people are defying the living God, the armies of the living God. We should have that zeal like Phinehas, that zeal like David. You know, and, and when you read this whole thing right here, it's vital to note that David's motive, his reasoning, his heart, it really was for the glory of God. You know, he wanted the the name of the Lord, which is connected to the people, an army of the Lord, to be honored, not dishonored. He wanted it to be hallowed, not hollowed. He wanted it to be lifted up and not smeared through the mud. And, and we're going to see that it's because of this. And if that's your heart, you guys, if we're here today and we're just saying, you know what, it's not about me. It's not about what they think of my name. It is all about Jesus. It is all about God. And I want to lift him up. And I want the church to see he's alive. And I want the world to see he's alive. And if that's our motive for the glory of God, we're going to see God move in a great way through your life. We're going to see that it's because of this desire of David that God will indeed defeat Goliath. Warren Wiersbe said that doing the will of God from our hearts involves doing the right thing in the right way at the right time and for the right reason. That reason, of course, for everything that we do must be for the glory of God. Someone else defined glorifying God as making God look good before a godless world. And that's so important. That's why one person said, there's nothing God cannot do for a faithful servant who thinks only of the glory of God. You know, David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He wanted to fight for the glory of God. And we're going to see that that's got to be our heart today. You know, we, you know, we may not consider yourself a fighter, but man, from this point forward, you better, you better know that God has called us to fight the good fight. God has called us in Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 14 to fight for our house, to fight for our children, to fight for our wife, to fight for your husband. God has called us to be fighters. We need to make sure that we have that understanding. But as you enter into that, that desire and you want to fight, you know, you got to know that the enemy is going to fight back. You know, look what we read in verse 28. It says, Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing, and these people answered him as the first ones did. Now, you know, when you read this whole thing, I mean, what's going on here, you guys? Now, I don't know if you see it, But it's a common practice of the enemy. It's a common practice of the devil to speak through someone you might admire or even a family member. You know, think about this. This was David's big brother, David's big brother, Eliab. And the devil speaks through his big brother. And the the devil will do that. Somebody you admire, a family member, lies in order to do what? In order to keep you from fighting to keep you from fighting, telling you you're taking a crazy step, you're going overboard, right? You're a Jesus freak. And you say, well, praise God for that, right? I mean, here's David's big brother, Eliab, and what does he tell David? Essentially, that same lie. What does he say? You are not worthy. You are not good enough to do that. He says, I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. Think about what he's told David And that was a lie. What did the Lord say in 1 Samuel 16, 7 when he anointed him? He said, this man has a beautiful heart. But Eliab says, I know your pride and the insolence. The Hebrew word means evil, wicked. You have a bad heart, David. And he was lying to him to try to keep him out of the battle. Eliab said to David, his big brother, man, you know, you have a wicked heart, a little brother, and you should get back home to where you belong You're not a soldier, you're a shepherd, you're not worthy, you're not worthy, you're not good enough. And maybe that's what the enemy's been telling you lately. You know, maybe you're here today and somebody had told you, you're not good enough. And maybe you really believe that lie, I'm not good enough. Well, let me tell you something, none of us are. Do you think I am? I hope you don't. I hope you know that I'm not good enough. I hope you know that Billy Graham's not good enough. I hope you know that none of those guys are good enough and and you're not either. So, you know what? Let's just, you know, we'll give that one to the Lord. Don't let it stop you from fighting this fight that God wants you to fight. And David didn't understand. <laughs> he asked his brother, he said, what's up? Isn't this a good cause? I mean, isn't this a good reason to rumble? In verse 31, it says, now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for him. And then David said to Saul that no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth and he a man of war from his youth. These are things we can relate to. Lord, I want to be a David. Lord, I know there are Goliaths in this country. There are Goliaths in this church. There are Goliaths in my family. Lord, there are Goliaths in my heart. Lord, I want to be a David. I want to be a David. And God says, okay, well, be ready for Eliab, who tells you you're not worthy, and be ready for the Saul's, who tell you you're not able. Be ready. Because that's exactly what Saul said. Saul hears through the grace vine what David is saying. There's a man willing to fight. And so he sends for him. He probably just sends for him so he could see how big he is, right? And when he sees him, what he finds is that another rather prominent man, again, your brother told you you can't do it. Now your king, your king tells you you can't do it. And he speaks words of discouragement to David. You're not worthy and neither are you able. And of course, in and of ourselves, both those things are true. But we strip our eyes off of ourselves. We look up to God and we find that, you know what? He is worthy and he is able and he is with me. And it changes everything. You know, David here is such a great example for us. You know, logically, David defeating Goliath made no sense at all. Saul said, your youth, he's a man of war from his youth. But for us, who are sold out and surrendered disciples, not all decisions are made logically, right? Our decisions must be made prayerfully. You guys know the verse. You can quote it. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. But our problem is that we disobey this proverb that we have memorized. Our problem is is that frequently we lean only on our own understanding, and we make decisions solely, logically, and oftentimes not prayerfully. I mean, there's Noah building an ark when it's never rained. Did that make sense? You know, there's Abraham ready to sacrifice his son, his only beloved son, the son of promise. Did that make sense? There's Moses in front of Pharaoh. Joshua marching around Jericho. There's Andrew and Peter, James and John, Matthew and others quitting their jobs, leaving their jobs to follow a fellow named Jesus. Does that make sense? It doesn't. It's not logically, you know, going to lead you in life, but prayerfully it will. When God says, follow me, you follow him. And I remember when I left my job at Vaughn and everyone thought I was crazy and I took a 40% pay cut. I lost my benefits. Then Shelly quit her job. And then there's Bible school, and then there's home school, and then, you know, one step here, other steps there, and here we are, 100% grace of God in our life, and we are still waiting and watching with eager expectation, great anticipation, asking God, what's the next step, Lord? It's not logical, but prayerful. Lord, lead us. David says, you know, I know I'm not that big, man. And I know I'm not even, you know, old enough to be part of your army yet, Saul. But notice what he says in verse 34. David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And what we find in this amazing, godly, young man is that David had been faithful in the little things and therefore God would eventually entrust him with the bigger things. In David's faithfulness, God had exhibited his own faithfulness. And those victories in the past were to be remembered and applied for victories in the future. You know, it's as though, you know, David saw Goliath as just another animal attacking the flock of God. And God had already given him that victory, and God had flexed his muscles. I mean, how strong is God, right? And and he took it in, he internalized it, and he made his decisions based on that. And that's the way we need to live life, you guys. You know, when the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt, God stretched forth his hand, and then God led them into the promised land, but they would have to take this journey through the wilderness. But what we find is that they immediately forgot what God had done. And so they immediately began to doubt, they began to complain in life. Forgetting that, you know, God brought them out of Egypt. And, you know, for us, it's like God took you out of the world. For those of you here that are saved, man, think about it. a lot of you here. God gave you life. God brought you out of Egypt when there was no way out of Egypt. And if He brought you out of Egypt and He saved your life, don't you think He has the power to take you to the promised land? Oh, but there's a trial, and we don't see water, and we this isn't happening, and things aren't clicking. You know what? Don't complain. Trust the Lord. He showed himself to be faithful. You know, when the Lord had multiplied the, the loaves and the fish, and he did it, you know, over and over again, whether the 5,000, which was actually probably 15,000 people, and then the 4,000, you know. I mean, he showed them, I'll provide for you. I'll provide for you. And so later on, when the Lord begins to talk to them and warn them about the leaven of the Pharisees, they were worried, oh no, we're not going to have enough bread, huh Lord, we didn't bring enough bread. And the Lord was grieved. The Lord was grieved that they had not learned their lesson. He said, "Man, what's up with you guys? Don't you remember when there was the 4,000 and how I faithfully fed them and the and the 5,000? He expects us to learn from the way that he has delivered us already. And that's exactly what David did. He learned. He learned, you know, I remember that day, man, when that lion came in and he took a sheep out and I and I I don't know how he did it. Maybe he you know, slung a stone or a staff somehow, you know, the lion then dropped the sheep. And then as the lion comes after David, think about it, he grabs him by the beard and, and he kills him. I mean, you know, the, David knew it wasn't me, it was the Lord. It was the Lord. It was the Lord. And the same thing with the bear. And, and in your life, I mean, how many times has the Lord come through I mean, but we forget. We forget the fact that he has his hand on us. You know, the other day I went to a bookstore, a Christian bookstore, you know, right down here, Golden Springs, and, you know, we were going to buy some gifts. And to be honest with you, money was really tight. It's really tight. And so as we're walking, you know, we're there, we're parking You know, one of the guys, just a random event, he comes up to me, and I was like, whoa. He says, hey, we have a $50 gift card that's been waiting for you. (laughs) And I'm like, wow, in the middle of the day, what are the odds of this man, you know, coming up to me, knowing the Lord, knowing, you know what, we're barely going to make it this year, beans and rice and Jesus Christ, right? (laughs) he And, and he and he gives me a gift card right there and then. What are the odds of that? And then even yesterday when we were wondering what should we do, what should we do? Okay, we ended up going to church, and and uh, and here we are. You know, two thousand people are there. And then I just happened to run into this guy that I hadn't seen in, in a few years. And I said, Oh, praise God! You know, you've been coming to church here. That is so cool. And he told me, No, I haven't been coming to church here. This is my first time in years. And and uh and I'm hurting. And so then we just, right there, we began to talk and pray. And, you know, I was just like, Lord, it's so amazing to me how you, you know, we have, what, 7 billion people on planet Earth, but you have your hand on my life. And you know exactly where I am because you've proven it to me over and over and over again. Because then when the day comes when I find myself and I kind of don't know or I don't feel like he's with me, I remember, yes, he is. Because he, number one, he said, I'll never leave you. And number two, he's proven it to me. In the book of Nehemiah, moreover, he led them with a fire, a cloudy fire by night and a pillar of fire cloud by day to give them light on the road which they should travel. And we learn you know, we're looking for a building right now. We're praying. We went to go see one yesterday and, you know, and, and there's this one over there and things like that. And, you know, the part of me, I have to admit, you know, there's that part of that, that element of, well, I don't know if God can do it. You know, there's that temptation. But you know what? God has already shown me. He's already shown us as a church what he can do as we went step by step at the house and then the park and then Garvey and then here. And then when the city said, no, it's not going to happen, God said, yes, it is. And we've learned from that. And we know that God's on the throne. And in your own life, all the things that God has done, you know, we need to remember that. David remembered what God had done and so he convinced the king. And so we read in verse 38, So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. And David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. <laughs> that must have been kind of funny, huh? <laughs> and it's a lesson for us to be who God made. Us to be. I pray you guys would always remember that. You are so beautifully unique. You don't have to be like the guy down the street or the girl next door to you or whatever the case may be. Be who you are. Sanctified you. You're David, not Saul. You don't need his armor. Not only that, I pray that we would know it's a lesson for us to wear the armor of God and not the armor of man. Right? And so we read in verse 40, it says, Then he took his staff in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And so the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked around and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking, right? I guess warriors are supposed to be ugly, right? (laughs) And so the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you, take you, strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give notice of the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth." that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, then all these assemblies shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. You know, one thing that I just want to mention as a side note, there are those times when it's important to tell them ahead of time what God will do. You know? There are those times when you need to to say it in advance. You know what? The Lord is going to do this and you watch. And, And that's exactly what David did so God would be glorified. You see, the soldier is set apart for the Lord. And he has this, you know, God has a soldier. He's got a stone and he's got a sling. And they're set apart for the Lord. David doesn't need a whole lot. He has a few tools, he has a few skills, and he has the Lord, (laughs) right? Psalm 144, verse 1, it's the Psalm of David. It said, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. We read last week in chapter 16, verse 18, that David was a man of war and he knew how to fight. But even though he had the skills, the sling and the stones... He also had complete confidence in the Lord. You know, it wasn't in himself. And there we find that beautiful balance that we need to have. Proverbs 21.31 says, The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. And so we got to do our part, you guys. We got to do the best that we can do. We prepare that horse for the day of battle, man. We do everything we can. We feed it. We train it. We get it ready. But then when the day comes, we don't trust in the horse. We trust in the Lord. We do our best and then we commit the rest. You pray. You got to pray. God, get me out of debt. God, get me out of debt. And then you cut your credit cards and learn to live on the budget He has for you, right? Lord, these giants of doubt and discouragement are keeping me from being the man you want to be. And so, Lord, tonight I come not with sword, not with spear, not with javelin, but I come, Lord, armed with your name. I come armed just with you. You. Only you. You're my only hope. You're all I have. And, Lord, you're all I need. And, Lord, One last thing, that as I search my heart, I want to say the only reason I want this, the only reason I want to do this, the only reason I want to be this is for you, Lord, for your glory. And that the whole wide world may know you and you might save them. That's got to be our heart. That's got to be our heart. You know, someone might ask, if David really trusted the Lord, then why did he have five stones? Right? Well, they say that five is the number of grace. And besides that, 2 Samuel 21:22 tells us that Goliath had four giant brothers, man. <laughs> Just in case they showed up. And so we read in verse 48, So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hastened. And I love this again, you guys. you got to love this. And he ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone. And he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. So that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. And so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. I wish I could have been there, man. And I have a feeling that there's going to be like some DVD rentals in heaven, man. (laughs) Can you imagine that? Oh, it must be so amazing, man, to see that. You know, but we can see that in our life. You know, whatever those giants are, what type of giant has been frustrating you or intimidating you or manipulating you? Maybe your family, maybe even this ministry. You know, Jesus said in Mark chapter 5, 36, do not be afraid, only believe. And when it's God's will, it often means that those things will go well, that he or she might get well. But you got to understand too, that slaying the giants doesn't necessarily mean that your load will get lighter. But I do know this, that when you slay the giants, that your back will be stronger to bear those loads and all the pleasures and pains and the crowns and crosses and living and dying will go forward and that's what i want i want to go forward personally i want to do good for others and i want to bring god glory you know and and we really i pray take time you know to to search your heart and maybe you'll be able to identify a a giant in your life. But, But even if for some reason you're not, just, man, learn to be a David. Learn to be a David, whatever it is. And I think for a lot of us, I mentioned this last week, there's emphasis on the I, right? Goliath, the giant, right? I. A lot of times I tend to be that giant that needs to be slain, that needs to be broken of his own will. You know, and, and 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 I want you to know that that you know God can break you. God can make you that man of God, that woman of God. Don't think that it can't happen to you, that you can't be that one who surrendered, that Hudson Taylor, that Amy Carmichael, that whatever it is that God wants you to be. You know, that I I pray would be a passion. Lord, I want to be a mighty man of valor. Lord, I want to be like David. Lord, I want to bring you glory. But I got a big problem, Lord. That problem is me. I'm the enemy. And so, Lord, you know what? I want to be broken. I want to take it to the next level in my life. And God says, well, do you believe? Do you believe that I can do this in your life? And... I got to believe. You got to believe. God can do amazing work, right? He's a potter, we're the clay. We are his workmanship. The Bible says in Ephesians 2:10, created for good works which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Wherever the giants are tonight, whatever that mountain is tonight, I pray that God's grace would flood your heart. And right here, right now, you would be a believing and receiving congregation. And that you would say to the Lord and say to yourself, God, we will overcome. When you do this, of course it affects others. Look at verse 52. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley into the gates of Ekron. Ten miles, man. (laughs) And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Shaarim, even as far as Gath and Ekron. And then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. What a difference, huh? What a difference one can make. Let me say this. Maybe that one is you. You might be here thinking, man, the one. You know what? No. Maybe that one is you. What a difference that one makes, right? The men of Israel and Judah rise and shout. They go forward and they handily defeat the Philistine because they're following David's example. And I just, you know, I just love David. We kind of get an idea of how he is. Apparently, he held on to Goliath's armor personally. He had a personal tent there. But years down the road, it's interesting. It says right here that he took Goliath's head to Jerusalem. Now, when you study this, you realize, well, wait a minute. Time out. The Jebusites were in control of Jerusalem. They didn't actually get control of Jerusalem. Israel didn't until David's reign. And so you know what that means, right? That David hung on to the big head of Goliath all those years. You guys have any trophies in your. <laughs> You're like, yeah, usually they're like, you know, real pretty and shiny and stuff, but. <laughs> and, you know, David had this skull of Goliath as a trophy. It would be a public, it would be kind of put in the museum there in Jerusalem one day. And it would always communicate the message, always that with God, nothing's impossible. And it's so cool when you read that whole story. And so we read in verse 55, when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. And then as David returned, From the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And so David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And and you read this whole thing, you wonder, you know, a couple of things like, wait a minute, didn't Saul already know David and 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 there's a couple of possible explanations I think probably the most plausible one is that you know he didn't he's inquiring more about David's father he really wanted the details of David's father because we know from this point forward David's house his father's house would be tax exempt and not only that we'll see in chapter 18 verse 2 that Saul from that day forward he wouldn't let him go back and forth from that day forward You know, Saul said, and he's gonna have to talk to his father, he's mine. Right? He's mine. No more back and forth, man. And you know one other thing that people might you know, they think, well, maybe this is why he really wanted to talk to David's father, there's a possibility that he wanted to say, Hey, any more brothers like this guy? (laughs) Any more men like him? And what's the answer? No. No. They're rare, huh? They're rare. But you know what? You and I, man, we can be a David. We really can. We started with Jesse and now we kind of end with Jesse. Saul would have a long talk with David's dad. No more going back and forth. Now he's a keeper, right? And as I was going through our text this evening, I was just thinking about so many things. I was thinking about Paul's writing in First Timothy 6 verse 12. Where it says, Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Later on in 2 Timothy 4 verse 7, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Did any of you guys read today's proverb? You guys know that a proverb a day keeps the devil away, right? Today's the 28th. You should have read Proverbs 28. In verse 1 it says, The wicked person flees. When there is no one pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And that's going to be us, you guys. The righteous is as confident as a lion. How can I be bold? How can I be a brother who's bold? Second Corinthians 5 verse 7 must be tattooed on your heart. That we walk by faith and not by sight. Right? Warren Wiersbe said, when we walk by sight, we calculate everything from the human perspective. A lot of you here, you make your decisions based on your logical calculator, right? It's your calculator making your decisions. Warren Wiersbe said, when we walk by sight, we calculate everything from the human perspective. And this always leads to discouragement. But when we walk by faith, God comes into the equation and that then changes the answer. Whatever you do, do not be guilty of what the children of Israel were guilty in Numbers chapter 13. When they went and they spied out the land. And it was the land that God had promised to them. But they came back and they said, we can't do it. They're giants. Too much, too hard. God, were grasshoppers in their sight. And what ended up happening? God ended up disciplining them. And what we find is that those, you know, 20 years old and above, they died in the wilderness. It's important that we make decisions, not just logically, but we must make decisions prayerfully. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not. Lean not. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will direct your path. You guys, I don't know what it is, but I do know this. And as I was going through this study, I was saying, Lord, the only way anything's going to happen, the only way there will be like a fire, it, there's got to be a spark. The only way anything is going to happen in your life, in this ministry, in this world, is you must take a step of faith. It's the only way you got to get out of the boat and you got to follow the Lord so that you and I can then experience the power of God. And so if you want something to happen, here's my encouragement to you. Look around, look in your heart, look in your life. God is just waiting for you. He's just waiting for you to take steps of faith. Amen. Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. And we are challenged by the life of David. We do not want to be like these soldiers just kicking it and sitting on the sidelines, shaking in their boots, so afraid, unwilling to walk by faith. God, I pray that you would light a fire within us. And I pray, Lord, that as we partake of communion today, that Lord, just not just our sins of you know drugs and sex and alcohol, but our sins of fear, our sins of laziness, our sins of not willing to get out of the boat, not willing to take steps of faith. Those sins too, especially tonight. Lord, that you would just begin to stir those things within us, Lord. We love you. We want to slay these giants, Lord. And as we seek you today, and, and even as we close in communion, Father, I'm reminded again that that Jesus, you're our David. You're the son of David. You're the root of David. You're the branch of David. Lord, you're the one who defeated the, the giant. You defeated death. You defeated sin. You defeated the wickedness. Now we are covered in your righteousness, Lord. You defeated Goliath. And we want to thank you for that in our life. And Lord, prayerfully, just like the army of Israel, we will follow hard behind. We love you, Lord. Bless this time as we partake of communion, Lord. And if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, who's not a Christian, or maybe they've been struggling, Lord, let today be the day. Today be the day that we give our life, we yield our life to Jesus Christ. Bless this time, we ask in Jesus' name.